2: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Oh, hello. Welcome. This is Better Make It Quick. This is the quick Wednesday version of Better Than Yesterday, which is the podcast that I've been doing since 2013 which is here to make your day to day better than yesterday. Something here on this show and every show is here to do just that. And we do it by having conversations with some of the most extraordinary minds in the country and around the world from all walks of life. But every time you're going to leave an episode going eh, today's better. Yeah, it is. That's what we're here to do. Um, so we've got hundreds and hundreds of interviews. And so I asked Bree, which is uh, the name of one of the people that works on the show. I said, Bree, can you go back in time and basically find some great episodes that really resonate with you? Because I'm listening with my ears. What are re- episodes that resonate with you? And we'll put a little few chunks out and then hopefully people will go back and have a listen. She said, no worries. I'll do it. <laughs> we're coming back to... Uh, February 2020, which, if you remember, was a time when you could just be able to open mouth, breathe all over strangers and not worry. Like someone would go, here, have a sip of this. And you did and went, wow, that's kind of fruity. And you passed it back and not think that you were going to die from a weird virus. Fleur Brown came to visit our house that day. She's an author. She's a speaker. She's a creative entrepreneur. She's the founder of an award-winning PR agency. And she's the co-founder of TEDx Sydney. Fleur specializes in helping people to create and grow their personal brands, which is kind of interesting if you're someone like me, because I, me, the person talking to you, also has a brand. I had an aggressive rebrand about 12 years ago. I changed the name of my product. The public, you know, it's it's an interesting thing. She is a, a wonderfully successful person, yet she had quite a unique start in life. Fleur grew up in a cult. Yeah. I've always wanted to speak to someone who grew up in a cult. So I asked her if she had a choice before entering into this cult or was she born into it?
3: Not born into it, but I would have been two when my mother went in and then, yeah, grew up in that environment completely. I was 20 when I came out, which is quite, you know, old. And when I look back, I think, wow, how did I get to 20 without actually exiting? And a lot of people I know left in a fit of rebellion, you know, in their teenage period, which didn't seem like an option for me. They they tended to be more male, like my brother. And then some of them go back into really disciplined, intense, you know, religious environments later in life because they didn't actually exit properly. Uh. They didn't undo the damage and look at why that you know that system of thinking was affecting them. And so they go back into something that's reasonably similar, which fortunately I, I didn't do.
2: The echoes of people who have an abusive mother or father that mm. then get into a relationship with an abusive person absolutely. are too large to ignore them. Yeah, like especially if they got you young, the patterns of behavior that are written into you in the formative years of your life just coming to repeat themselves as an adult. It's terrible.
3: Absolutely. And I mean, it really, you know, I exited quite well, but it was many years later. In fact, you know, only last year, I went into any formal kind of therapy, which I love. And it was really later in life that I recognized the, the impacts and, you know, how that had been affecting my progress as a human. And I think parenting's really confronting in that sense. Like you look at what you're projecting onto a child, and then you rethink your own childhood and you recognise that you would never have, you know, consciously implemented some of the things that were done when you were in your own childhood, you know, with your innocent young person who's a blank slate.
2: So I'm I'm a bit older than you, but I'm guessing this is late 70s, early 80s when you were...
3: (laughs) No, it was... um, I don't do age conversations, but it was... um, (laughs) It was early early 70s when my mum went into that Uh environment, yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot going on at that time, lots of protest and, you know, redefinition of identity going on in society for her.
2: Which country were you in at the time? New
3: Zealand. Uh So the interesting thing about this group is it was absolutely a global group started by an American evangelical preacher who was an ad man who turned to religion when he lost his copywriting job and then created a multi-billion dollar empire, global empire, which, you know, found its reach into countries like New Zealand. It was, you know, right through other territories and regions, there were hundreds of thousands of members around the world. And I felt like I grew up in an American society because the culture that I grew up in, in New Zealand, in that, in that group was very American. He was one of the first radio evangelists. So he sort of used his um, advertising and media skills to create a bit of a media empire. And that's how he spread his message.
2: Multi billion dollars. So I'm guessing that wasn't it like a 30% tithing or something, which is pretty a fair work?
3: 30%. So to unpack that a little bit, if you follow the Bible teachings on tithing, it's, you know, there's a 10% plus 10%, plus 10%. So 10% is what goes to the church. 10% is kept aside or the, our teaching of it was for a festival. So we would put 10% in the bank account and then it's used during the religious celebrations. And then every third year, you have a, a third year tithe, which goes to the church to help the you know the poor and needy, which most of us were poor and needy, but we're sort of putting 30% of our gross income into this religion. And the stress that my father was under financially was, you know, crazy.
2: What were they getting out of it? Why did they join?
3: Well, my mother, I think traumatic events in your life are often a catalyst for this kind of thing. And my mother had just had her father die and you know she was just in her mid-twenties at the time. And that was a big trauma for her. And I think she was looking for answers. And then if you couple that with what was going on in society, where there's a lot of pressure on women to look at how they're living their life and their identity challenges, and she just kind of chose a more conservative path, went with a group that created a, a feeling of community. And then my father says he followed her in, effectively. It was quite a nicer environment for men, very patriarchal, lots of leadership opportunities for men and a little more unpleasant, I think, for women at that time.
2: Sounds like Gilead. <laughs> 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 Do you watch stuff like Handmaid's Tale and go, yep, know that?
3: Uh, a lot of people thrust cult books and movies and things like that. I Me and I have absolutely zero interest. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really want to relive that. Fair enough. Too. Yeah, I, I love analyzing the impact Mm. and the thing that really pulled me out of this group was a book by a man called Stephen Hassan called Combating Cult Mind Control and I can remember the moment that I pulled that from the bookshelf in Ariel Bookstore in Paddington and went oh that looks interesting I don't need to read that just get the travel book And then I sort of something inside me said, no, just get that book. And I'm thinking, "What? that's a scary read. Why would you read that? So I had absolutely, you know, little consciousness of the group that I was in actually being a cult. I went home that night, read it from start to finish. 3 a.m. I finished and I knew categorically that I had been in a cult and I knew how to exit. It's a brilliant tool.
2: Isn't it? amazing how powerful our intuitions can be sometimes. Something somewhere inside Fleur must have known and really guided her to that book. So I could only imagine that growing up in a cult and then exiting that cult to start a new life in the world outside of that cult, the world that you and I live in, it must have unforeseen implications on who we are and how we behave.
3: I think back on that time and I think, wow, that really kind of laid out a a blueprint for me socially, which I still live inside. You know, I know everyone has shades of imposter syndrome, but I have, you know, I don't like going to parties particularly. I find it hard to just connect and people, when I first started my business, some of my staff would say, oh, you're really secretive. And I think, well, I don't think I'm secretive. And then I realized I have this pattern of behavior where I'm just constantly protecting information. And I've changed that a lot over the last 10 years, but it's just ingrained. It's a self-protection mechanism so that people wouldn't find out things about me that were embarrassing. But at the same time, I felt special and elite and we were the ones that were going to save the world.
2: Yeah. So what was their message? Because like an anti-vax message is, you know, big farmers coming to get you and you know the secret is you're not using this and your kids aren't going to get this horrible yeah. illness. The climate change thing is you know that this is all just a socialist Jewish plot to take over the world or whatever the hell they all say it is. What was their message? Yeah,
3: well, we drew heavily on the Book of Revelation, which is pretty ghastly if you ever read it. And sorry for any Catholics out there, but
2: the... Yeah, I'm sorry for you too. <laughs> the to great be war
3: one. that rode the beast that's in Revelation was the Catholic Church. So we're always on the lookout for what the Catholic Church was up to. And then there were the 12, I think it was 12 heads of the beast were European countries who were collaborating with the Catholic Church and there was all this prophetic stuff laid out. So we were always thinking we were probably about three years away from the end of the world and that would bring in, you know, a range of possibilities from war would probably be the the first point, tipping point, and then there'd be, you know, famine that would follow that, yes, famine, because that's a biblical word that Mm. would follow that, you know, that war period. pestilence. Pestilence. (laughs) That's a goodie. Thank you. I forgot about that. And then we would be whisked away to the Middle East, to a very specific place called Petra, which I never did manage to visit, but a lot of people from my church group yeah, would Petra, go and- lovely. Yeah, 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 they'd go and visit. And we were going to live amongst the rocks and the hills there somehow, immune from all of this other stuff that was happening for three and a half years. So this terrible time would last three and a half years. It was very specific. And then we would still be alive. And then Jesus Christ would return and recognize us as the special people, then we would teach the world how to live
2: right and so let's unpack that a little when you're constantly telling people three years away all this is ending but don't worry I've got it sorted yeah so in one breath you're terrifying them and then going and I'm the only way out yes and that's such a pattern of behavior that we see now, I mean, it's every politician does it, you know?
3: Yes, and so I'm going to give you a really specific example of how that landed back in my world recently. So I rarely post on Facebook these days because I still have a few crazies on my, I sort of hang on to some of these people that are part of this group still because in America in particular, uh, because I went to an international college over there and um, made a lot of friends, Americans are naturally more Religious, and a lot of them have stayed in, you know, mm. kind of a form of this sort of group. So I posted something about climate change, and and this this man pops up who I haven't heard from for you know ten years maybe, and he says, oh, look, you know, this has been happening for thousands of years, and it's all part of God's plan. And I just really had to hold myself back from just saying, you're absolutely right. Let's do nothing, you know, because it's the sense of everything's going to be okay and nothing you do really matters. And it's that fatalism. And I fought that sense of fatalism for many, many years. It's horrific. But at the same time, I felt kind of special and kind of chilled through, you know, my childhood because you were told it's all part of God's plan. So at the same time you're getting this awful anxiety, you're also getting this kind of, but you're elite and you are going to just fall into this plan, yeah. you don't need to worry about too much
2: The appeal to purity, which is that's a, a massive part of any kind of indoctrination, isn't it? And I know I'll keep going back to it, but just something that people can you know, relate to is the, the anti-vax thing is, oh no, this is
3: nature's way,
2: you know <laughs> We survived for millions of years without this stuff. We don't need this. One.
3: Well, I didn't have I didn't have vaccinations, yeah.
2: Wow. Mm. Have you had them since? Yes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. Uh, welcome to the land of not dying from some horrific Dickensian lung palsy, you know. It's, it's Absolutely. When I,
3: when I went to South America, I had to have the polio vaccination. Yeah. I was convinced, and they said they, they didn't get to me in time because you have to have a series of them, and I was convinced that I was going to fatalistically come down with polio. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm glad you didn't.
2: <laughs> glad you're okay. Uh, but, yeah, that, that appealed to purity, that appealed to, oh, no, but you're a part of us, you're special because you're with us. Everyone else is not special. Was that weird? Did you ever, like, at school when the teacher was getting mad at you, you'd be like, yeah, laugh now, honey, Ben three. By the time I'm in grade seven, you are going to be burning I'm gonna be safe. Did you ever have that kind of feeling? not
3: quite like that? It was more just an emotional disconnection. Like don't bother forming an emotional relationship with people who aren't. So part the of isolation good church was
2: group. right in there. Yeah. Built into it, baked in.
3: Yeah. It's almost like thinking of those individuals as on a robotic level. Wow. Sort of like that sort of subhuman robots, you know, I wasn't intellectualizing it. Um
2: really dehumanizing people that dehumanizing weren't.
3: Dehumanising people and yeah, and I think obviously that really troubles me now because I actually think this is the framework from which we operate a lot of times when atrocious things happen. You know, you've got something in your head telling you that this group of individuals is somehow not like you. You know,
2: A boat smashing onto the rocks at Christmas Island while children die yeah. in the surf and people film them Chinese with their phones. Chinese
3: people um, who are battling the coronavirus hmm. um, are somehow not relatable.
2: No, they're not a person who has a child that wants their child to do better than they did. They're not hungry. They don't want to go to bed at night with a full belly or have their kids be safe. They're just a person on a screen.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, the other thing that I've been thinking about a lot recently, so my mum died quite suddenly just a few years ago. And I remember being in the room when she was given her diagnosis. And you know, as soon as we got alone without the doctor there, which she wasn't, Really advocating for. She was quite happy for the doctor to be in the room, which I found odd as well. She said, Oh, it doesn't matter. And those words just haunt me because I think they really sum up the mentality that was sort of being ingrained, which is that nothing really matters. You know, there's a planner somewhere who's sort of puppeteering your life and you don't have impact. And so I think for me, the greatest battle through life since then has been believing I have impact in a positive or a negative sense, and helping other people to also believe that they have impact. Because without that belief, you just don't try.
2: We'll hear a bit more from Fleur in just a moment and get into why she believes that having a personal brand is so important. We'll do it right after this. You might hear an ad, you might just hear some music. I'll hear you on the other side. Or you'll hear me, yeah.
0: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
2: We're speaking with Fleur Brown today. She's the founder of a successful PR firm. She's the author of The Business of Being You, a book she wrote to basically guide you into helping build your own personal brand, which is a very important thing in modern marketing. And it's a topic that Fleur is very passionate about. So I wanted to know why. Why do you feel so passionately, Fleur, that we all should be starting to think about our own personal brands?
3: Look, firstly, I think separating the concept of celebrity from personal brand, because I think celebrity is for a few individuals who rise to a certain point, you know, and have specific objectives. And yes, there's an influencer movement and there's reality TV and people are made into celebrities a lot more than they used to be. But where the conversation sits for me is that every individual deep in their heart, I believe, wants to have impact, you know, in their life. And I think most people have an area of, you know, have a talent, they have an expertise, it might need some support, you might need to do some skill building. But if we, you know, leave this earth not having expressed that, that's tragic for me. And so it's really about allowing people to see that they need to focus on themselves and what impact they really want to have, not because of a job title. So a lot of people get caught up in, well, I do this and this is my identity. You're at a party. What do you do? Oh, I'm a manager at you know Commonwealth Bank. Suddenly that becomes their identity. That's crazy. You know They might change their job next year. Who are you today? Oh, I'm working for NAB and I do business development. So that's your identity. Rubbish. You know, like your identity is something that is fundamentally who you are in all of those different incarnations. We're work slaves. I think that's got to change. So it's really sort of looking at what is it that you want to have impact around and bringing that expertise forward and not being afraid to actually step out and use your voice to do that. And everyone has a different form of voice. So not everyone can write. Not everyone wants to be in photos on Instagram. Not everyone can do public speaking. There's lots of different ways to have that impact. The bottom line is being willing to allow the focus. And so many of us run from it, particularly in Australia. They think it's more worthy to stay in the shadows.
2: What would you say to people who want to stay in the shadows?
3: Why are you doing that? It's probably dysfunctional you probably, maybe you, you were bred to believe that you're a better person if you are humble and people get caught up in self-promotion. And I say the antidote to that is passion promotion. So you're not self-promoting, you're promoting what you care about. Who has a problem with that? You know, that's the difference. And I think that's where this influencer stuff has gone crazy, but it should never be about just promoting and putting the spotlight on a person for the sake of self-promotion. It's about what do you stand for? where are you trying to have impact and putting the focus, use your identity to do that.
2: What is the mental health benefit of, of not hiding, not being afraid of the tall poppy cutter?
3: Look, it's really confronting and sad. I think when you see other people, you know, seize the glory of something that you might've thought about, you know, three years ago, maybe it's a book you wanted to write a conversation you wanted to have in the world. And they might be half as good at it as you believe you could be. And maybe you even wrote the book or you, you had that job title, but you're not the one that's actually having license to give voice to that. And I think as much as people tell themselves all kinds of shit around how they feel when that happens, deep down we know that we've missed an opportunity to leave our signature on the world. And I, I think every human being has the right to have impact and you know leave their personal signature. So mental health, do you really want to live your life as if what you do doesn't matter? That's not very healthy to me. It's sad. So then you'll spend a whole lot of your life trying to suppress that fundamental sadness that you feel.
2: And we all have the ability to leave our signature on the world.
3: Thank you, Fleur Brown.
2: Thank you. And thank you, Brie, for helping us make this episode. Uh, you can find Fleur on Twitter. She's at Fleur Brown, F L E U R B R O W N. The full conversation you can hear in February 2020 when we basically sat across a table and just there was aerosols going left and right. I was inhaling, you know, the airborne spittle from her mouth. Going, no, everything's fine. Ah, uh, good times. Scroll back on through your podcast feed to find it. I'll be back here on Friday. And uh, on Monday, we're back with a brand new interview. So thanks so much for listening. If you do like the show, you want to support the show, you can find us patreon.com slash osher, which is where you'll find ad-free episodes and also video episodes, full video episodes. We started, I think, with about and that's What I reckon is when we started making the full video ones. And they, uh, they go from there as we finish the edits. They're coming up now. And they're great. And thank you so much to all the people that jumped on that. Who'd have thought, you know, that full video episodes was the thing that people really wanted. Funny that stoked that i can bring it to you anyway so patreon.com slash osher or just search better than yesterday or Osher ginsburg there really appreciate it uh, that you listen today thank you andy for producing this show thank you uh, Bree Steele, for putting it all together and um rachel barrett the executive producer of everything you're awesome and mike mills aka toe Hider, on the music thanks guys i'll speak to you on friday until then sleep well and dream of beautiful things <laughs>